We are going through a series right now that we're calling Life Rhythms. Life Rhythms. And so most of our lives are, are made up of rhythms. It's crazy. Our body is made up of different rhythms that we don't even realize is happening. Um, you know, our circadian rhythm. And we know when it's off, uh, but we don't already, you know, we don't always acknowledge when it's on. And, and, and so what we're doing is we're looking at different rhythms of our lives, but we're, we're, we're looking at particularly the rhythms of the life of Jesus. And so we're, we're going through the Gospels as biography, not so much to learn theology. Jesus told a lot of stories. Um, he taught quite a bit. He's, he, was, he was a teacher. He was a rabbi. But we're, we're looking at these stories in a, at a different angle to try to see, you know, what was he like? If, if we were to hang out with Jesus for a week, what kind of person would he, you know, would he tell jokes? How would he treat the waiter, the waiter or the waitress at the restaurant? Like, you know, you, you can learn a lot by, by just reading between the lines in the life of Jesus. And uh, so that's what we've been doing. We're taking three weeks of rhythms of routine. These are things that he did constantly over and over and over. The first one was solitude. He disappeared all the time. The disciples didn't know where he was. Nobody knew where he was, but he, he, he valued solitude and silence. Last week, we looked at that, the one, one word, separation. They all start with S. It's like a disease. Okay, it's a, it's a preacher disease, but it's just to help me remember them. So separation, you know, he would, he would say, um, I'm sorry, that's next week, um, surrender. He, he would say things like, you know, I, I, I must go through Samaria, or I only do what I see my father in heaven doing. And, and almost in a way like he was getting this download from from God, and that was his priority was was making his you know making his dad proud, and so he he had to surrender his will in several different times and different occasions. And we looked at those last week, and today is um, I want to say is probably one of the most important rhythms of his life. This is something that he that he did every, everywhere Jesus went. We see this in his life. Everywhere he went, he's serving. He he was attuned. Like, he, he knew what was going on in the lives of the people around him. We're going to talk about that for just a few minutes. Our theme verse, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, these two verses that we've read every week don't really make sense at the, on the surface value because what does rest and a yoke have anything to do with, with each other? You know, if he's offering rest to the people that he's talking to, he, he's, he's saying, well, you got to take my, my yoke. And, you know, the yoke, if you're not familiar with that, it was like a type of farming equipment that they would put on animals to, to plow a field or, to, you know, um, to, to carry or, you know, get different loads from point A to point B. But we're, um, we're learning now that what Jesus meant by that, his yoke was the way that he was a human being, the way that he did life. That was, when he says, take my yoke upon me, he's saying, live the way that I live. Do the things that I do. Treat people the way that I treat them. You know, value the things that I value, and you're going to find that your life gets lighter. The, the, the workload might stay the same. You know, you may have the same job and you're with the same people, but your life begins to feel lighter uh, because you're valuing the things and doing the things that, that Jesus is, was doing in his life while he was here. 
And so I think that, you know, personally, Jesus was the greatest leader that ever lived. I love leadership. It's something that I'm, you know, I, I, I love to learn about. And, um, and so just, just being a student of leadership for a little while now, not too long, I've, I'm finding that the greatest, you know, writers on leadership, most of their principles come from this book. And, and, and most of the principles that they use come from the life of Jesus. And he introduced the world to this new type of leadership that, that it's kind of become popular now, but it's called servant leadership. You know, up until, you know, I feel like, you know, culture for a long time, the way that you valued how, how you know, impactful of a leader that you were would be, well, how many people are working for you, right? How big is your organization? How many, how many people are, 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 you know, are whatever, on your payroll, however you, however you want to slice it. And then Jesus came in and started saying things, you know, and just completely debunking this myth about how those that will, you know, are the greatest are, are servants. Now, that was completely counterculture because a lot of times serving is connected with weakness in a lot of ways, right? People are supposed to do what I, what I say. I'm kind of, I'm the boss. I'm at the top. And, and, and so serving would almost seem like, well, I don't, I don't know if, 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 if you're a servant that you're a strong person, but I think it's the opposite. I think the strongest leaders in the world are servant leaders because you've got to be secure in who you are. To serve someone, you've really got to know who God's called you to be. And so, and also I think another way, another reason why servant leadership is the best path to take is, as a Christian, but as a person, is because a servant leader is not insecure. They know who they are. They know who God's called them to be. And so they don't need to be acknowledged. They don't, they don't need, you know, a card or their name on a plaque or, you know, like, like they don't, they're not doing it for that because they're secure in themselves. They know who they are. They know who God's called them to be. They're not doing it for accolades or for attention or for someone else to see them. They're just doing it because they know who God has called them to be. And you've worked for a servant leader before and you've probably worked for a selfish leader before. And I can't give illustrations because I just can't do it. Because uh, <laughs> so, I'm finding out that people are listening to my sermons now and they're connecting dots. So. <laughs> so, but I have worked for a selfish leader. And I've worked for a servant leader. And what's crazy is the servant leader I worked for was not a Christian. The guy that was like wearing his Christian t-shirts every Friday and talking about how much he went to church was, was, was not really living it in the day-to-day. -day. It was wild. I'll never, I'll never forget it. The, the, the whole change in the organization. I, it was a Friday afternoon. I used to work for a company. They make soda. And um, <laughs> it was a Friday afternoon. And I was like, why is the GM still here? It's like 2 o'clock. This is golf time. You know what I mean? Like... And I'll never forget, the owner of the company comes in, walks in, he's got a lawyer with him, and then the GM leaves, and we never seen him again. The next Monday, the new GM starts. And this guy came in, and this is what he did. He started this little, he put a box on the wall, called it a, a PIF form, process improvement form. And he just told everybody, first speech, he says, first talk to the company, 200 employees. Hey, I just want you all to know that I work for you. That's my job. And I put a box on the walls, completely anonymous, and what can I do to make your life better, to make your job easier, to, to help you with what you do every day? Write it in this form and put it in the box. And that was my job, to go through all the forms. And some of them were crazy. 
but some of them are really good. And it was like the whole culture shifted because they all of a sudden thought, man, this guy cares about me. He cares about what I'm doing every day. He cares about the quality of my life, not the bottom line and making money. And you got to do all that and scaling and getting, making sure products get delivered and, and you know, right. He, he, just the whole organization shifted overnight because of the person at the top cared about the person at the bottom. And you could tell, you knew it. This is what Jesus was, was, this was the DNA of his life. And he was the son of God. He had all the answers. Everybody should have been working for him, right? It says the moon and the stars and, and, and the, the mountains bow down and worship him. Like he was the top of the totem pole. <laughs> and he came in and he, and he preached a gospel of servant leadership. That the way at the top is to serve as many people as you can. And so we don't have much time today, but I want to give you three. The th so, so it's kind of weird. In, in, in the New Testament, it's written in Greek. We have one English word for serve. We have one word, it's serve. In, in the Greek language, they have seven. And so I can't go through all seven, but there were three that Jesus used. So we're studying his life. And when he would call people to serve or to be servants, he used three different Greek words. The first one that was the most common is doulos. And this, was, this is where it's used. Whoever wishes to be first and most important among you, he's not saying that's bad. He's just showing you how to do it. You must be servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He did not come to doulos, but to doulos, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so that's the Greek, doulos. The best word I could find in, in English would be, that would be a, like a, a, a servant, a bond servant is, is, would be the, the English like, definition of that. And so it would be almost be an employee. And so 2,000 years ago when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and saying, hey, if you want to be the greatest, you got to be the bond servant of everyone, they knew exactly what he meant when he said bond servant. Because back in that day, before you know, banks owned all the money and we printed it from machines. Uh, I'm just kidding. I, you, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, fiat currency blows my mind sometimes. Um, but uh, you would, you would, if you owed a debt to someone, you would work, you would work the debt off. So you would be their bond servant. You would literally go and you would work for this family, or if it was a company, and and you would work to pay for that house or that loan or that land, whatever it may be. But the caveat was this, it's pretty neat. You, you could never serve over seven years. So if you owed this family $20 million or $20,000 or $200, you could never serve over seven years. At seven years, your, your debt was paid and, and, and you were able to go and, you know, to be, you didn't have that obligation anymore. Well, a bond servant, the best picture of a bond servant would be someone who worked their full seven years and they paid their full debt and they liked it so much where they worked, they just stayed. And so when Jesus says, I want you to be the servant of everyone, he's saying, I don't want you to go around like looking down like, man, I can't believe I got to do this today. Man, I can't believe I, like, this is my job. Like I get to like, like, like not with this like duty mentality of I have to do this. The bond servant worked their time seven years and said, I like it so much serving here. I, I think I, I think I'm just going to stay. And the principle is that there is a way in this life, I believe, to serve out of delight and not always out of duty. 
Like, I know, I feel like our, our dream team is the greatest team on the planet. You know, we got like 50 folks that show up here every single morning to just get ready. And they're, they're praying and they're cleaning and they're setting up chairs and they're setting up signs. And, and, and what I try to always tell my, the dream team is that don't let me know when you're ready to quit. And I've gotten that email before. Let me know when you get tired. Because when you're doing it out of duty and you feel like, man, I have to get up and do this today, then, then, then I think we've lost, the, we've lost the essence of what Jesus is saying here. That serving can be fun. That there's something on this planet that God's called you to do to give back to the community that you're going to love. And I think a lot of times we do it wrong. Like we, we, we sign up for a church and then based on the needs of the church, we tell you what to do. Right? Hey, we need people in the kids area right now because... They're going ham back there. And so we, we just, you know, and you don't like kids, right? Like you don't even know what to do with kids. But because we have that need right now, you just kind of get shoved into that. So we try to do it the other way around. We try to take what we call it's the growth track. And so we want to discover the gifts that God's put in you and then place you in ministry based on what God has put inside of you. So that serving is a joy. So that I think the principle of this, of this word means to, to serve out of a, a place of delight and not out of duty. That we get to do this. We get to do this. And we have some of the most incredible people who live that every day that, that are a part of this church. So this is a hard sermon for me to preach because this is one of the most serving churches that I've ever been a part of. The second word that Jesus uses for serving, I'm going to give you the, um, the, the verse first. Matthew 20, verse 27. He says... Not so among you, speaking to his disciples, whoever would be great among you, so if you want to make your way to the top, must be your servant. And so that, that word in the Greek is diakonos, where we get the English word deacon. So if you ever, so as you have deacons in your church, or if you've, you know, went to church for a little while, or, the, you know, this might be your first time in church, but you've probably had deacons in your church. And, you know, and maybe they wore name tags or they took up the offering or they were the ones that hung out behind the church and smoked cigarettes after service. You know, I don't know what, what, de- what comes to your minds when you think of deacon. But, but the, 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 when Jesus is saying, all right, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the, the, the deacon. You need to be the servant of all. The, the best word picture of that that I could find was just a waiter or waitress. That's a deacon. They are focused on the needs of others. They're focused on the needs of others. Like, you know, and so if they're in a room, they're looking around and they're trying to find somebody they can help, somebody they can serve. And you know when this is happening. I mean, we don't always acknowledge really good service, but we acknowledge bad service, right? And a lot of times, like, we go to restaurants and we don't realize, man, how much is going into that experience. And I waited tables for a while, and it was really hard. It was really hard. I dumped a whole platter of champagne on this guy's lap, and that was the last time I ever waited a table in my life. I mean, it is, it is, this is not an easy thing to do, but, but, I, I, but when, we, when you're in a setting and somebody who has that gift or really is living that in their life, you, you can feel it. You can, you can sense this. Like it's, it's, they're, they're attuned to the needs of others. And so like the, I think the, the principle of that word would be it's just, we're just someone who's focused on the needs of others. And I know you can't do that all the time because you have kids and you've got stuff to do and you've got a family and you've got priorities. 
But, but I think here, here is Jesus. He's given us a little glimpse into his life. He's given us a glimpse into how do we really achieve greatness. Is can we keep this mentality that I'm here for everyone else and not here for me? Now, if it's your job, it's kind of easy, right? If your job description is that and you're a waiter or a waitress, it goes without saying. But what about when you own the restaurant? What about when you are the GM and you are the top of the totem pole? And everybody is kind of working for you on paper. That's when it's really hard to keep this mentality of I'm not here for me. I'm here for those that are around me. I'm here to check on what you have going on. I, I want to help you. I want to serve you. And, and that's the real principle in all this. You know, that, that, that can I keep this mentality of a, of a deacon, of a servant, that I'm here for others all the way up through the ranks? Because it's easy to do, again, when it's like, I know this coming in. This is my job description. But as God promotes you and as you move into different roles and now people are working for you, this is really hard to stay in this vein and, and being attuned to the needs of people around us. Because I think it's just human nature, right? We, we tend to focus on our own needs. And here's the last one. Acts 26. This is a pretty good one. Jesus is speaking to Paul. We all know Paul. He was Saul. He had a letter from the king to go around and kill Christians. And then he had this incredible moment, Acts 26. Gets knocked off of his donkey, right, blinded by the light. He's saying, where are you, Lord? And then there's Jesus speaking to Paul. Saul, now Paul, I am Jesus who you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. And as a witness of what you have seen and will see. So here is that word, you know, that's not the only verse where Jesus uses that word, but he uses that word of his disciples. So in the Greek, it's huperetes. Say that like three times. Huperetes, huperetes. But, but the, the, uh, it means the best I could find in English is, is it's an under rower. And so if you've watched Pirates of the Caribbean, I'm a kind of a fan of Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, boats in that day didn't have, they didn't have motors, right? It's before combustion engines. This was, so if there was no wind and, and the, or the wind was wrong, they couldn't get, you know, the boat to move with the inspiration of the wind. Well, you had to row. And so these boats were all outfitted. If you've watched any of the Pirates of the Caribbean, there's different, like, scenes where there'll be a bunch of people that are underneath the boat. You don't see them. And they've got these little holes out the side where they're just under the rowing. They're the Hooperettis, right? They're, they're under rowers. They're nameless. Nobody knows who they are. But if it wasn't for them, the boat wouldn't move. And when Jesus called Paul, who is, he's, you know, or Saul to Paul and appoints him as a minister, he appoints him not as, hey, I want you to go and make yourself famous all over the world, and, and I want everybody to see you and know you, which ended up happening anyways. He appointed him as an under rower. That's a nameless person who's there just to, to move the ball down the field, not there for accolades, not there to be seen, not there to get something out of or in return, but just underneath the boat doing what they've been called to do. This is the word he uses for all the disciples when he calls them minister. Some, some translations translate it into minister. That, that we never graduate from this place in our life where I think the principle is we're serving to add value. 
not to be seen. That's hard. It is hard, I think, to maintain that in our lives. But this was the life that Jesus lived. This was the way that he was. Now, we're not Jesus, right? Neither are you. And so, again, I know that these are, these are goals. These are rhythms that we're attempting to do. But I want to just share one last story before we, we're going to pray together. And I think this really captures serving more than anything. And it was the last couple of days that Jesus was alive. Now, what would you do if you knew you had like 24, 48 hours to live? And hopefully you're never in that position where that happens to you. But you might be one day. A diagnosis, something happens, a doctor tells you, you know, hey, you've got this amount of time. I feel like that's what happened in 2020 to the whole world. We all of a sudden, like, you know, we all of a sudden just woke up to our mortality and realized, oh, this is, this experience here is temporary. <laughs> but what would you do? You know, you got a few days, a few hours, and Jesus knew that he had about 24 hours left in John 13. Now, I'll tell you, one, I think I've only had this happen to me one time, and it was kind of the end of 2021. I went on a mission trip, and I came back, and I got really, really sick with COVID, like bad sick. Like every day I was thinking, okay, I don't, you know, this is getting worse and worse, and I was really weak, and I, you know, it was not good. And um, thanks to my sweet wife, who's a nurse, uh, I learned what it really means to serve someone in that, in that capacity because I couldn't really do much. I was getting on her nerves. I know I was. But there was a couple nights where I was like, you know, I actually thought like, I mean, man, you know, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sick. And I did not in my mind, I'm just going to be honest with you, the needs of other people were not in my mind. I was like, hey, call my mom, get her over here. Call your mom, get her over here. Like, I, I, we just need more people in the house that's just taking care of me. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, my mom makes this soup. I get sick. I'm like, bring her over. Tell her to bring the chicken. You know, bring the noodles. She makes this chicken noodle soup. I'm like, get mom the soup going. Who, whoever's available, but let's get them over here. You know what I mean? Like, I just was just made it all about me. And, uh, and, and, and so <laughs> maybe you've done that before. I don't know. But I was not worried about washing anybody's feet <laughs> or taking care of the needs of others. I was thinking, okay, this, you know, I was just, anyways, y'all pray for me. But this, look at what Jesus does. John 13, it was just before the Passover feast. So this is the Thursday night before Good Friday. We're coming up on Holy Week here. He knew what was happening on Good Friday. Jesus knew his time had come to leave this world and to go to his Father. And having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I want you to notice what he doesn't do here. And we're going to read through this. He doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't like, you know, bring in an organizational chart to let them know, like, okay, this is, you know, I'm the chief here, and this is what I need you to break this down. I, I know, Peter, I want you to take the West, and Paul, I want, you know, or whatever, John, I want you to take the East. There was no strategy meetings here. It was just he knew he had a little bit of time, and he wanted to set an example. And this was completely, con I mean, this is so counterculture in what he does. And so the first thing that he does is he, he it says he, Jesus knew the Father put all things under his power. Verse 3, 
He'd come from God, was turning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Insane. And so rather than preaching a sermon and rather than reminding everybody who he was and the work that he had done and was there to do, so in that day it was a little different. When you had a meal with folks, they didn't really have chairs. This is crazy. The tables were like kind of just, just a few feet off the ground. And so you would, you would lounge at the table, like you would lay down to the side. You know what I mean? So try that at the Grand Marlin when you leave here. Just flip the table over. Tell them that you're going to put, you know, you don't want, no. So that's how they did it. We don't do that now. We have chairs. Great. Awesome. But they lay down. And so if you can imagine this, if you're laying down, the person next to you, what's right in their face? Your nasty feet. You know what I'm saying? And, and so back in that day, it was incredibly important that if you were going to share a meal with anyone, you had a foot washer. Somebody washed, the, and you know, there were no Teslas, there were no cars, so they're walking around everywhere, and it's horse and buggies, and you know, so there's all kinds of nastiness in the roads. So their feet were, were, were gross. And Jesus takes this last night of his life with his friends, and he, and he gives them an example of what it really means to be, a, a, I think, a great leader. He washes their feet. I'm sure if we were there, if we could read between the lines, they were probably all a little bit nervous. Because that was the job that nobody wanted. You know, I don't think 2,000 years ago, if we were interviewing a kindergarten class, that anyone would stand up and be like, I want to be a foot washer when I grow up. That's, the, you know, that's what I want to do. No, it, like, it was, it was not esteemed as a very high influence. Like, it just wasn't a job that you picked a lot of times. And so Jesus took the worst job, and he, and he got down there, and he began to wash their feet. Philippians 2 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Value of others above yourself. Could you imagine a world where that happened every day? A family, a community, an organization where that was the culture? Where people really came together and, and, and they cared about each other more than they cared about themselves? And I know you can't live like that always, but it was, it was I mean, this mentality, what he's doing here, the disciples didn't understand it. Peter jumped up and said, no way you're washing my feet. Not happening. Jesus said, I have to do this. Let's keep reading. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Three things here. Number one, Jesus put service over status. He was the leader. He was the guy in charge. He could have easily had everyone at someone else. He could have delegated the foot washing thing, but he didn't. He took the worst job and said, you know what? I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. It's not about my status. Again, this is, I think the principle here is not if your job is to serve, but it's when you own the company, can you still stay in this mentality right here? Can you still walk into a room and say, you know what? I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. It's really hard to do. Jesus did it. He put service over status. The second thing he did by, by getting down and getting dirty and washing the disciples' feet was he put charity over convenience. There was nothing convenient about doing this. There's not even, there's even talking about it's awkward, right? Surely it's the night, last night of his life. We could make it about Jesus that night, <laughs> Right? 
I mean, surely, like, like, I mean, like, really, this is, I mean, Jesus, let's just have a meal. I'll just be honest. If I think, I, if I thought I only had a couple days, wouldn't be here. You know, I just, I, I would be like on a plane somewhere with, I'm like, let's just, I'm going to make this about me. I want to eat, eat good food. I want to go see beautiful stuff. Like, like, but, but Jesus doesn't do that. Did that shock some of y'all? <laughs> I don't know. But he did it. The story of the Good Samaritan, a lot of you know that story, but it says there was a guy bleeding in a ditch. And a Levite walked by and looked at him and just kept going. And then a priest walked by and looked at him and just kept going. This guy's bleeding, dying in in a ditch. Jesus told this story. Then he said a Samaritan came down got off of his donkey, took care of the guy, met his needs, you know, bandaged him up, put him in a hotel. I heard Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preaching on this story when he was pastoring. It's an old, it was an old tape. And he said that the, the Levi and the priest asked the wrong questions. The Levi and the priest seen the guy in the ditch and they asked the question, what's gonna happen to me if I stop? But the Samaritan asked the right question. He's seen this guy bleeding and dying in the ditch and said, well, what's gonna happen to him if I don't stop? And this is where I really wanna land the plane because I'm not trying to get you to sign up for the dream team, which I guess I kinda am, (laughs) which I, I, I hope that you do, but if you don't, that's okay. I think so much of life is how we interact with the people around us. And you can't really standardize serving and giving. We try to in churches. I think we try to standardize it. But a lot of times it's, it's the people, it, it's not programmed through a church. It's not a serve day that's set up. It's not, we have all these cool ways where you can serve and give back. But I promise you there's gonna be a moment in your life where you're gonna come across someone else's path and they need your help. And, and it's not gonna be convenient, right? It's, I mean, this, this guy, this, this good Samaritan, you know, he, he had to stop his day to help this person. But I want you to hear this because I, I promise you he probably told that story the rest of his life. That a lot of times a, a God working a miracle in my life has to do with how I treat the interruption in someone else's life. And do I even see their needs? And, and can, I, you know, can I get down for just a moment and feel and experience what they're experiencing and try to, to, to serve them in a way that's, that lifts them up, right? We're not talking about a handout. We're talking about a hand up. And I think this happens all the time in our lives. And it's not so much about how much we serve at church. I think it's more about how we treat the person at the restaurant and how we treat the people that we work with, how we treat the folks that are closest to us. So verse 14, we're going we're gonna to pray. John says it like this. He recorded this moment. And Jesus, he says, you know, your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You should circle that word blessed. So he washes her feet and then he gets up and he says, guys, this was actually an illustrated sermon. And this is why. That, that word blessed, he says, if, if you can live with this kind of mentality, you're going to be a happier person. That, that word blessed literally means happy. It may, see, it may say happy in your Bible. That the person who can, who can see the needs of others, uh, the best way I feel like I've heard it put is that Jesus put we over me. That he was always thinking about the community. He was always thinking about the people that were in his life. It was never just about him. I'm going to tell this last story that we're going to pray together. It's, I've got y'all nice and quiet. This is a tough message, I know. But a pastor told a story. This is, he pastors a big church, and he was talking to a, telling a story about a, a professional athlete that came to him in his church. And if I said his name, you would know exactly who he is. And he had just kind of reached the pinnacle in his career. Had the ring, done it all. Like, he'd been working his whole life for this. And he, he, he just, he got, like, very depressed. I mean, almost clinical levels. And so he's meeting with this pastor, wanting, you know, asking for what can I do to just get, I mean, I should be happy. Right? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a pro football player. I got all the money. My, you know, he's, this was a, he was married, had a family. Every, everyone was good. There was really no reason for him to just, like, hit this wall in his life, but he did. And so he went to this pastor, and, he, and, and, you know, the pastor tells the story like he was just expecting, like, a devotion or something. Like, give me a book. <laughs> give me, like, you know, do I need to say a certain prayer? I mean, is there a formula for this? And the pastor, who, this was in Dallas, he said, this is what I want you to do once a month. I want you to spend an hour. There's a children's hospital here in Dallas. I want you to go there for an hour once a month to the children's wing and go to the front desk. Tell them you're coming. You can't really just walk in a hospital. But tell them you're coming. They're going to love it. <laughs> and ask them to just give you the jobs that they don't want to do. And this, he did it. And what was crazy is that as the pastor was telling the story, he said three months later, this dude's life was completely changed. Not only did he go once a month, then he started going once a week. And I think what happens in our life is we've got to have some kind of serve. We've got to have some, somewhere in our life where we're giving back to people, not for anything in return, not for what I can get out of it, but just I, I want to give because it's what God has called me to do. And I think what it does is it doesn't lessen our problems and it doesn't lessen our stress and it doesn't magically just eliminate depression and anxiety, but it does take the focus off of our needs for a moment. And, and in those moments, Jesus says, if, you're, if you can live this way, you're going to be a happier person. <laughs> it is a selfish thing to serve. And science is backing it up now. They're saying people that are giving or that volunteer, they're just happier. It's crazy, like their, their lives are better because they have some kind of outflow in their life. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. If you've, maybe you've been there in Israel. It's the Dead Sea. Not, it has several rivers running into it. It has nothing running out of it. And in the spiritual realm, I think in the Christian's life, we have to have some kind of outflow or serve. 
And what begins to happen is it just brings life into our own soul. So I want you to bow your heads. I want you just for a moment, think, is there somebody in your life that God's maybe calling you to, to help out or to serve? Is there somewhere that God may be calling you to serve? Is there a neighbor that comes to your mind and you know they just went through a hard time and, and maybe you can give them a call or cook them a meal or I, I don't know, maybe there's an employee that right now they just came to your mind because you know they're going through it and they have a lot going on in their life and they could just use some encouragement. I, I would say, you know, just ask in this moment, Holy Spirit, who, who can, is there somebody in my world that I can help? It doesn't mean I'm gonna, I don't have to get on a plane to do this. I don't have to take a class to do this. And then maybe you're here and, and, and you're, you are in that place yourself, you're, you're hurting. And it's hard to help anyone when you're hurting. You might feel like that in that story of the Good Samaritan and you're the one that's, that's you've been hurt. And I think what's so beautiful about the Holy Spirit is he, is he comes and he heals our life. He heals those places in our life and he, he uses people and he uses moments like this. But it is really hard to serve or help someone if you got like a broken leg. Like, you know, you, sometimes we got to focus on ourselves so that we can serve and that's totally okay. But God wants you healthy and wants you whole. And so, Lord, that's what we do in this moment now. We just, God, we lift our souls to you. We lift our hearts to you. Help us to be attuned, God, to the needs around us. Help us, Lord, to notice when people are hurting or when people need our help, Lord, that we, that we respond. We just thank you so much. Just in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen.